late 2017 through 2018, oil prices were consistently climbing, but the Canadian dollar relative to the U.S. dollar was actually weakening during that period. So you can have a sustained period where one goes one way and the other goes the other way. Welcome to Views from the Desk, a special edition of the BMO ETFs podcast. In these timely episodes, we provide the latest investment news and expert commentary on the markets, the economy, and investing. Brought to you by BMO Global Asset Management. Hello, and thanks for joining us today. With markets being pulled in opposite directions by conflicting data, Mark Race, Chris Heeks, and Chris McKinney offer investors a clearer picture of what's going on with their portfolios. From quality exposures to banking, energy, covered calls, emerging markets, and fixed income, they provide timely updates on the various sectors, factors, and asset classes that make up a defensive growth strategy. In addition to this 360-degree view of the current landscape, they deliver actionable trade ideas that you can take back to your client conversations. Before we hear from our experts, please consider subscribing to the BMO ETFs podcast on your preferred podcast player and sharing it with your friends and colleagues. Enjoy the episode. Hello, I'm your host, Mark Rays. I'm the head of products of BMO Game Canada, covering mutual funds and ETFs. We're joined today again by Chris McKinney and Chris Heeks, both our portfolio managers on our ETF desk, focusing on equity exposures, and derivatives, but of course involved across the entirety of the desk. So thank you, Chris and Chris, for joining us again today. Thanks, Mark. Let's get right into things. It's been an interesting week. We, we've seen some cracks in the market, but then some quick reverses back up, where there's been concerns over a new wave of virus infections, uh, certainly jumping to the front of the list. Uh, we've seen a number of regions in the U.S., certainly indicates in the wrong direction that COVID-19 is very much with us. And this has been offset once again by promises of more stimulus. One of the latest big ones is this proposal now in the U.S. for a a huge infrastructure spend. How is our recommendation of defensive growth held up against this market stress when you think of both the quality ETFs and the low-ball ETFs? Thank you. Thanks, Mark. You know, I think they're still they're still doing quite well. But yeah, it was interesting. Like last late last week was almost like March in a microcosm. You know, Thursday the S and P was down close to six percent. You know, almost bringing those circuit breakers back into play. You know, so the circuit breakers will close the S and P if it goes down seven percent. So those are almost in play first time really since March. Uh, VIX shot up forty percent to the to the forty level. You know, all global. Equity markets were down synchronistically around 4% to, to 5 plus in the U.S. But like you said, you know, the, the stimulus has been there again. So not only do you have the fiscal $1 trillion stimulus proposed uh, targeting infrastructure, you know, we've talked about infrastructure a little bit on the call as well. Uh, but you've also, you know, you had further statements from the Fed, Jerome Powell, and, and you know, it, it reminds me of the Mario Draghi, you know, I'm going to do whatever it takes to support the market. So Powell seems to be having, um, you know, somewhat of a similar mindset and, you know, that has further committed uh, monetary stimulus support. So, you know, overall, those things are certainly supporting the market since we saw that little bout of volatility last week, kind of year-to-date update on on mobile and quality. Uh, so year-to-date, you know, the S&P is up almost 2%. 
So it's been a boring year so far, of course. U.S. quality has been up 6%, so outperformance there, and our low vault's been down 1.2. So, you know, the average of those two, giving you just about um, 70 basis points of outperformance versus the S&P right now. Kind of the update in the kind of more recent, you know, and, and, and maybe going to put aside that bout of volatility because really, you know, you know, as we know, since late March, it's been pretty, um, pretty big growth profile, uh, to say the least. Uh, but even looking at the last five weeks, S&P has been up close to 5%. Uh, that low vol quality mix has lagged a bit at about 3.5%. But, you know, the banks, which we have been advocating for, to kind of supplement that defensive growth, you know, U.S. banks as well as Canadian banks, they're up close to 10%. So you know, that little slice of banks uh, to get the cyclical exposure that we've been recommending uh, does do pretty well. But I think we're still in a good shape overall with low vol and quality. Quiddy valuations are, are still not low, and I think there are still a lot of questions. So I still think it's the prudent approach overall. You know, for that cyclical kind of tilt to the portfolio, just to get something of what those two factors don't provide, the, the financial tilt, I think is a prudent way to get a little bit of cyclical exposure right now. So I think that's the way to go. But overall, I think we are uh, we're in good shape. It's a, you know, I think it's a prudent positioning, and you know, we'll we'll see what happens uh, with COVID going forward. But uh, definitely not out of the woods yet. All right. Thanks for that, Chris. And, you know, it's, it's interesting when you talk about the return numbers for the U.S. and it's it's so close to flat. And yet the path we've been on over the course of the years is something you almost lose sight of with all the volatility out there. The absolute value of returns, you know, down 35, up 40. But the 2% return certainly doesn't tell the story on the year, does it? Exactly. Now, a bit of a different story in Canada, where, of course, the higher energy exposure and, and what's gone on there, not the same level of, of recovery that we've seen in the U.S. Um, we know that energy and the Canadian dollar are, are related trades. We saw WTI uh, go negative, but it's now up over 37. And the Canadian dollar climbed all the way up to, I want to say, to 75 before dropping back a little bit. What's your view on energy and the Canadian dollar for the remainder of the year? If you take that view, how would you best implement it? Are, are you guys advocating hedged, unhedged, a mix or a tactical approach at this point? Just your views on energy and how it relates to the Canadian dollar. Thanks. Sure. And as you say, Mark, there, there certainly is a correlation between uh, you know global oil prices and, and how the Canadian dollar does. I would say, though, that, you know, that correlation really is more of a longer term sort of thing. You know, you can certainly have pockets where, you know, one goes one way and the other goes the other way. You know, if you look back to, you know, kind of late 2017 through 2018, oil prices were consistently climbing, but the Canadian dollar relative to the U.S. dollar was actually weakening during that period. So you can have a sustained period, really a year or more where one goes one way and the other goes the other way. The rebound in oil, I think, has been partly related to, obviously, the reopening of economies and, and the slow re reopening of, of economic activity. So I think, really, you know, your, your view on oil probably related to the pace of, of expansion that we're going to see going forward. And, you know, for the remainder of 2020, if we just look at the forward curve on the oil market, so obviously a very liquid market in oil futures, projecting it out for the rest of the year, we see mildly higher oil prices than where they are today. And that actually is projected out for a couple of years now into the, into the low $40. 
you know, if, if we see uh, a reopening that's much quicker than that, uh, you know, rebound in the second half of 2020, you can certainly see an, an increase in the oil price. Really, that's tied to the level of economic activity that's going on. So if we look at things like uh, traffic trends, for the most part, in a lot of places, um, weekday traffic, not back up to where it was, but not, not too far off. Um, it's the weekend traffic that's really still non-existent and hasn't rebounded much at all. And so I think to the extent that we get a rebound in economic activity, people, um, you know, driving more, obviously planes moving, things like this, that, that creates demand for oil and energy. Once that becomes a bit more sustained, I think then you'll see uh, an improvement in the Canadian dollar. If that happens before the end of 2020, I'm not sure. But I think if you're looking a couple of years out, um, you can certainly make the case for that. In terms of, you know, do you want to hedge your currency exposure or not? You know, we're, we, we, we've discussed this a couple of times already, but we're, we're really getting back to the levels close to where we saw the Canadian dollar trade with the U.S. dollar through much of 2019. Um, you know, kind of traded in that 130 to 135 range. Kind of, I'm looking at it the opposite way that, that, that you mentioned, but kind of traded in a, in a pretty narrow range for the most of the year with oil prices stable. Um, and we're pretty much back to the top of that range. So you could make the case that, um, you know, the Canadian dollar with improvement in oil prices will, will increase you slightly. So you might want to hedge some of your portfolio, but I don't think there's a dramatic move, a dramatic improvement in the Canadian dollar, at least in the next six months or so. And so you might want to think about, you know, getting close to that 50-50 right now and then as that currency moves one way or the other you can you can tilt it a bit more um as we see if, if it moves away from this sort of neutral range that we've seen in and over the last year or so all right thanks for that chris appreciate that update you're listening to views from the desk a special edition of the bmo etfs podcast if you're enjoying this episode we encourage you to tune in to our deep dive series where we take you under the hood of the BMO GAM product suite. Most recently, we take a deep dive into the BMO Canadian MBS Index ETF, ticker ZMBS, a traditionally institutional offering for defensive income in the current environment. For more information, please see the episode notes below. Now back to Mark Race, Chris Heeks, and Chris McKinney. I want to move over to the derivatives part of the book, where we're coming into option expiry this week. Certainly, there's been a lot of volatility over the last quarter. But looking forward now, how are the covered call overlays changing? The volatility certainly is not back to normalized levels. So how far out of the money are, are you looking to write at this point in the portfolios? And are you maintaining a, a similar level of yield, or, or has that been changing as well? Thank you. Thanks, Mark. I think the one thing that makes the strategy work really well is, you know, we kind of keep that yield target pretty consistent. So, you know, on, on all the covered call portfolios, that target would be in the around the, the 3 to 4% range on an annual basis in, in terms of increased income. So what that means is if you keep the income target relatively stable, what kind of deter- determines your option selection, strike selection, is the volatility is the biggest component. When volatility is really high, you know, options have a higher value attached to them. And what that means is you can earn that 3 to 4% by being further out of the money. And when you're further out of the money, that means, you know, the, the, the underlying stocks can go up 
much more before there's any underlying impact to the portfolio or any foregone upside. So from that point of view, we're still in pretty good shape. I mean, March of all of the VIX was 80, which was an all-time high. Uh, but we're still in the mid-30s right now in the U.S. You know, we're still elevated ball in Canada and really globally. So, you know, kind of the volatility backdrop is, is pretty good. So our ability to, to get that 3 to 4% yield is um, it's easily done in this environment, and we can be a good distance out of the money. Um, we've got quite a few, quite a few trades to kind of get through this week. You know, it's a, it's, a, it's an option expiry month, and we're, we're usually quite busy around that the third Friday. But uh, you know, I'm expecting, you know, depending on the underlying portfolio, you know, Canadian banks might be the lowest volatility, but we'll still be probably six to eight percent out of the money there. Probably on some of the high dividend oriented uh, portfolios, we'll be you know, likely more in that 8 to 12% range. And then some of our higher volatility strategies, such as the U.S. banks, you know, we could, you know, easily be still 12 to 15% out of the money, if not more, uh, just because those U.S. banks have a little bit of a higher volatility profile attached to them, you know, a little more aggressive lenders. So you see that in the volatility market. So, you know, overall, the opportunity is really good. You know, we've had a pretty decent uh, recovery in equities. So the, the level of where equities are right now is, you know, I think pretty reasonable given everything that's going on in the world. And to still have kind of a high volatility backdrop means it's going to be very easy for us to to generate that income. And, and I think we'll be able to put on some pretty good strike levels, some pretty good trades this month that are at least six, eight, ten percent out of the money. So we'll give you know investors a really good growth profile, you know, kind of looking forward into the next couple months. All right. Thanks for that, Chris. Appreciate the update. Let's change gears a little bit and actually look now at fixed income, where, of course, we've seen a lot of activity south of the border where there, there's been the bond buying programs. Now that they're fully in play, how successful have these programs been in improving liquidity and as a secondary measure, bringing in some of the bond volatility? And from that, knowing where these programs are focused, and what opportunities are you still seeing in fixed income? Thank you. Yeah, so the bond market obviously is much more stabilized than what we saw in March. Part of that might just be to um, you know markets calming down, market participants calming down somewhat, and so you know a little bit is attributed to that. And in fact, we think a lot of the stability is not necessarily related to central banks actually buying the bonds, but simply indicating that they will buy the bonds. So when those announcements were made, that seemed to calm the market almost by itself rather than the actual act of of these uh, central banks going in and and buying bonds uh, on the open market. And so we have seen that that come down. And I think central banks really are playing it by ear, so to speak. You know, if we do see volatility come back, if we do see stress come back, um, you know, they've indicated they will ramp up um, the purchases that, that that they've already committed to doing. Uh, you know, in the U.S., for example, the Fed uh, indicated they would buy uh, up to $250 billion worth of corporate bonds. So far, they've only done about five, I think, five and a half billion of that. So a very small amount of the overall total. And Jay Powell actually indicated if they see conditions returning to normal, they would they'd be happy to slow down that buying or even stop buying completely. So I think it really depends on um, if we see market stress come back, how quickly 
these facilities will will be uh, will be implemented in Canada. The corporate bond buying program and the provincial bond buying program are, are focused more on the shorter end of the curve. The corporates are one to five years only. And again, we've seen that start and spreads have come down to where they where they peaked in March, but they're still somewhat elevated relative to you know last year um, and even on a historic basis, kind of on the higher end. So, you know, there's still some opportunity for investors that want to take a little bit of risk in their fixed income portfolio to allocate to corporate bonds. They do have that bit of a higher spread. In particular in Canada, you know, the triple B is widened out significantly. We have seen those come back again with more with the announcement that the Bank of Canada will buy bonds rather than the actual act of them buying bonds. And so for investors willing to potentially take on a little bit of volatility in order to lock in a very nice spread relative to government bonds. We still think there's a play there. Um, you know, Z triple B we've talked about in the past carries a little bit of risk. You know, if some of these companies run into trouble, if the economic uh, rebound is not very strong, you know, some of these companies potentially getting downgraded to high yield if they run into trouble could present a little bit of downside risk there. But for investors willing to take that on, that ZBBB does pay a really nice spread over what governments are, are offering right now. And in the U.S. as well, uh, we have seen, uh, again, things uh, come back to, I, I wouldn't say pre-March level, but certainly calm down relative to, to where they were in March. When investors are looking at allocating to this space, though, I, I do think everyone does have to realize we are still seeing wider spreads in terms of the bid-ask spread on bonds. Again, not as wide as we saw in March where, where things were very extreme. But relative to six months ago, one year ago, the execution cost of getting into and getting out of uh, corporate bonds is still a little bit higher than, than where it was then. So just kind of keep that in mind when you're looking at executing into or out of these uh, asset classes. All right. Thanks for that, Chris. Just one more question I want to throw your way before we go to the lines. I want to check in on emerging markets as, as we haven't talked about that area too much. But we have seen some institutional activity in this space, and I've, I've received a few emails on it this week. How would you position ZEM relative to Canadian equities, you know, keeping in mind the, the more cyclical nature of our, of our markets? And where do you see this trade right now? Thanks. Yeah, you know, a little fun fact here, uh, ZEM is the largest emerging market ETF in Canada. So it's it's 1.7 billion about, you know, I don't think there's another one over a billion. So yeah, we're pretty active in this space. We have seen interest throughout the year. We've seen some institutions adding this year. You know, I think it's an interesting opportunity. I think it's been an interesting opportunity for a long time. Um, You know, the, the valuation discount has been there for a long time, you know, like, if, you know, as long as I've been on the ETF team, which is 10 years, you know, it, it trades at a consistent kind of price to earnings discount versus other markets, you know, so there's, there's a lot of opportunity there. You know, one thing I found interesting is, you know, since the market bottom, which, you know, March 23rd is the magic number that I always plug in to look at the market performance bottom, um, you know, merging on markets, although it's, you know, more aggressive exposure, it, it's lagged. All of the other, you know, it's like Canada. Canada's up almost 40%. EM's up 21. You know, it's like the U.S. and it's like EP as well. You know, I think emerging markets has changed a little bit. You know, it, it has been traditionally kind of associated as 
very highly correlated to Canada. I think it's become less so in the kind of recent years. It's become more IT focused, uh, more financial focused, less less of an energy play. If you look on a correlation basis, it's actually a little more correlated to EFI now, and that that makes sense given kind of their geographic connections. I think it's a little more correlated to EFI countries than it is even North American ones. I think it's an interesting opportunity. You know, just given the theme of defensive growth, you know, it's, it's not a trade I would advocate that, you know, it's an all-in screaming buy right now, but I do think it has a place in portfolios. I think it can add something for Canadian investors. I think I think it can add more than than what it has done traditionally, where you would have said, well, I get all my EM exposure through Canada. I think it can add a little bit more. Um, it's one of those exposures where if you didn't have any EM, you know, I'd be thinking, well, what kind of level of EM makes sense? Maybe it's 5% of a balanced investor's portfolio maybe a little more, maybe a little less, but you don't have that number in mind. And if we do get a buying opportunity, keep an eye on it. There's certainly challenges there. You know, uh, China is in the news, um, obviously, to a, to a high level, you know, whereas IT has been driving emerging markets or, you know, some of the Chinese IT companies have been getting pushed back, obviously, with security concerns. But, you know, I think a lot of the China story is, is, is more rhetoric than anything else. And I think, you know, going forward, obviously, the long-term story for emerging markets is very, very compelling. You know, that's the engine of the world's growth, and it's, it's going to be the engine of uh, population growth going forward. So there's a lot of opportunity there. I think it can add value. Um, in the short term, I, I'd look for a little bit of weakness to buy it on. I think it definitely deserves a place in the portfolio. Great. Thanks for that update, Chris. At this point, I would like to turn to the lines and see if there are any questions. So again, star six, if you want to unmute your line and ask a question to Chris and Chris. Thank you. Go ahead. Okay, great. Hi, it's Esther. Um, I just have a question. Uh, I've got clients that are kind of concerned about this recovery that um, the media is talking about and such. Uh, can you maybe suggest some places uh, in fixed income uh, where they may be able to short, uh, park the money for a short-term period and maybe discuss some of the risks and yields? Thank you. Sure. So, you know, we can take a look at, you know, various places to go here with, with, with short-term money. Looking at our ultra-short-term fixed income funds, those are somewhere that, that you can kind of uh, invest for the short term, um, pick up a little bit of extra yield uh, with corporate exposure, but everything uh, under one year in terms of maturity. So very, very low duration. So a, a fund like ZFT, um, again, very short term uh, fixed income holdings. You can generate about one, one and a quarter percent uh, in terms of yield to maturity. So it's, you know, it's not nothing. And obviously, higher higher than the almost zero that uh, that short-term rates are at. So you can get a little bit of a pickup there. The risk with that, uh, of course, is that you're in corporate bonds. Um, these are all investment-grade bonds, though, in this portfolio. And again, they all mature in less than one year. So investment-grade, you know, defaulting on a less than one-year bond is, is very, very low probability. Uh, but that's the risk you'd be taking on with that sort of portfolio. Uh, in a similar vein, you can maybe start to move out the maturity curve a little bit. So our ZCS also all investment grade corporate bonds, uh, but it's a one to five year maturity, so the duration is a little bit higher. Um, you know, you're picking up about 50 basis points uh, over the ZFT by moving into something like ZCS, and then ZCB. Uh, is corporate bonds across the entire maturity spectrum, and then you're adding another 30 basis points on top of ZCS. So anywhere from you know 125 on the ZFT up to just a little bit over 2%, um, if you're willing to, to move out the maturity. 
curve. Again, all of these are investment grade bonds. Um, and so the, the risk that you're taking there is, uh, you know, corporate spread widening potentially. I think the least impacted obviously would be the shorter term. The more shorter term you stay, the, the less impacted you are. So, you know, if you're really, really concerned about what the next six months are look, will look like or the next year, stick to the ultra short term, the ZST, and you're still getting a little over 1%. Excellent. Thank you so much. Just before we jump to the next one, I'd also mention the ZMBS, uh, the, the new mortgage-backed ETF that we brought out earlier this year. You know, you do get the yield pickup of around 30 points versus federal. Uh, and again, pretty reasonably secure with a, uh, a short duration attached to it. So that's an intriguing option. Thank you. Yeah. Hey guys, it's John here. Thanks for taking my question. My question is in regards to your REIT ETF, uh, ZRE. Uh, I've been looking at ZRE for a little while here and it started to drift up a bit recently. In the news yesterday, retail sales in the U.S. were better than expected, but still not quite near the pre-COVID levels. Uh, and, and I would expect more of the same here in Canada, which should provide a bit of confidence in REITs here. I want to get your thoughts on REITs and what we can expect for the next little while here. Thanks. Thanks, John. Uh, I can I can jump in on that one. You know, they the REITs have uh, you know they're certainly underperformed the index this year. They went down more than uh, more than the index, and they're still certainly lagging on on the um, on the upside. So this year, REITs set our REITs down about 15 on the year versus seven on on the index. Uh, I think it's a good value play, honestly. You know, I look at, you know, what's happening and, you know, we're seeing positive signs. There's going to be bumps in the road, but, you know, we still firmly believe that, you know, on a one to two year basis, and it could be could be sooner, but on a one to two year basis, we're going to get that recovery and re- resumption to normal. Some industries may be slightly longer, some less, but, you know, we're on that path from that perspective, you know, with interest rates as low as they are right now. The yield on the REITs, you know, I think is very compelling. There's one segment of the REITs that I would personally have concerns about. And just to mention, that yield is about 5.3% right now. So, you know, it's a 5% spread to kind of Canadian government bonds. That's that's gotten in historically a very, very attractive level. You know, the one area, you know, I personally wonder about a bit is the office side. You know, we're we're all working from home right now and, and, you know, kind of wondering about what that looks like going forward that's a question you know instead of office rates are only eight percent though it's a small subsector you know if you look at the market cap of the index office rates are closer to 13 percent so we're a little bit underweight office rates in the zre which i think is a good place to be um you know the retails and residential you know obviously you're concerned when stores are closed but look at like what's going to support the residential and retail REITs. Well, we, you know, I think the recovery number one in, in, in one to two years, there's a pathway of support, you know, the land value, as far as I can tell, this crisis hasn't had a significant impact on land value. You know, this is long-term value that, that the REITs are invested in. So I don't, I don't actually, I'm not overly concerned about the residential retail side on, on a long-term basis, but I think it's a good trade. It's a good value play. I think it's one that you have to be prepared to kind of, Buy now, hold it for a while, and stick to your guns. I think it'll be a good. I think it'll be a good outcome on a two-year basis. Awesome, thank you. Okay, not hearing any further questions. I'd like to thank everyone for joining us today. Uh, we really appreciate your time listening in, and of course your questions. I'd like to thank Chris and Chris for making yourselves available again today. Uh, your insights on the markets, your trade ideas, 
your your overall insights to take back to our own conversations all much appreciated. Once again, I'd like to thank everyone for joining us. Be well, be safe. Enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you. Thank you to Mark Race, Chris Heeks, and Chris McKinney for joining us on the BMO ETFs podcast. Today we heard timely updates on a broad range of ETF solutions, as well as thoughtful analysis about the relationship between energy and the Canadian dollar. For more information about the ETFs discussed in this podcast, please see the episode notes below. Contact your regional BMO ETF specialist or visit BMOETFs.com. If you enjoyed today's episode, we encourage you to subscribe. And if you have any questions you'd like addressed in future episodes, please send them to Andrew Vachon, A-N-D-R-E-W dot V-A-C-H-O-N at BMO.com. Thanks again for listening. See you next time. The viewpoints expressed by the portfolio manager represent their assessment of the markets at the time of publication. Those views are subject to change without notice at any time without any kind of notice. The information contained herein is not and should not be construed as investment tax or legal advice to any party. Investment should be evaluated relative to the individual's investment objectives and professional advice should be obtained with respect to any circumstance. Any statements that necessarily depend on future events may be a forward-looking statement. Forward-looking statements are not guarantees of performance. Views from the Desk has been brought to you by BMO Global Asset Management.